everyone and welcome to the Driving for Better Business podcast celebrating women working in transport, fleet management and road safety. I'm delighted to have Nina Day, Policy Advisor for the Health and Safety Executive with me. Um, Nina, it's really great to have you on the call today. Um, it's great to be here. The Health and Safety Executive play a crucial role in ensuring the safety of those in the workplace and your area of expertise is in road and workplace transport what was your career route into this particular area? You know, after nearly 23 years now, I can still picture the job advert that got me okay. applying to work for HSE. And I didn't really know anything about HSE back then. And I certainly wouldn't have imagined my career developing the way that it has, but very much in a good way, I should say. Mm. When I first started in HSE, I was carrying out incident investigations so that was fatal and serious injury incidents in quite a wide ranging number of sectors, uh, manufacturing, construction, agriculture, offshore. I'd worked on a couple of incidents in the transport sector, but it wasn't really something that was on my radar. And after about six years, I decided I wanted to get more involved in the research side of things. I asked for a project that I could work on. And I did have my eye on something else. And I remember being quite disappointed when I was given a project on HGV trailers instead. Um, I think I was probably quite annoyed at the time, but I gritted my teeth and thought, I'll just get through this mm. and then I'll never think about an HGV again. <laughs> and, and clearly that it didn't work out like that. I think within about two weeks of starting that project, I was just fascinated by the industry in general. And mm. I still am. It's such, a critical industry sector for the country as a whole and there are some absolutely incredible people working in it a lot of technical innovation a constant drive to do things better and it's just great to work with so it, it's a, it's an industry that I've been very very happy to work in for many years now I moved into policy with an HSE about four years ago and that that was a big change but an exciting one one of the best parts of my job is getting to work with HSE's external partners. So whether that's industry groups or partners within government like DFT, the police, with national highways. And I think having a non-policy background is actually quite helpful to me in some ways because it's a different perspective and having that technical scientific background can be really useful when it talks when it comes to talking about something like low security which can be quite a complex topic. So my career path to this point probably has been a little bit unusual, but I, I wouldn't change anything about it. That's fantastic. And you're quite right. Sometimes looking at transport, um, it doesn't seem like it's a very interesting area or particularly wide ranging. But actually, when you get into it, there is so much there. Um, and you mentioned partnership. Uh, how important is partnership with getting things right um, in the workplace or driving for work area? I think it is absolutely critical. I mean, certainly, you know, from HSE's perspective, we are talking about an area where you have overlapping areas of enforcement and overlapping legislation because you have workplace safety, you have road safety, you have different regulators working in that same space. And it's absolutely critical that we have an ongoing dialogue between us, that we work together closely the engagement is also really important, I think, in terms of talking to industry and making sure it's a constant two way discussion about how things can work, how they can work better. 
it's one of the great things I, I think about the industry working in transport is that you have so many different parties involved. It, it's exciting. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you've already mentioned a few of the things that you've been involved in and uh, and load security um, is actually quite important. We don't think of it so much. And we've all seen things bouncing off of flatbed trucks and stuff because they haven't been uh, tied down particularly well. It's important to understand how loads do behave on a, on a moving vehicle. And it's not just about driving with loads, but also the process around loading them safely in the first place. What's the most, most common causes and the most common vehicles involved in incidents with unsafe loads? I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. Load security, it, it's a really important issue. And it's an issue that affects everybody. I think people often think, oh, it's only HGVs that we, we have to worry about, but not at all. You know, you can have issues in cars, you can have issues with vans. It's really important if you're transporting goods on the road, whatever the vehicle, whatever the length of journey, are you managing that properly? Have you got a system in place to make sure that that load gets from A to B safely? And I think it can seem very complicated to people sometimes. Oh, you know, there's lots that I need to do. But actually, a couple of years ago, I went... Um, back and looked at all of the load shift incidents that I'd been involved in investigating over the years and I made a short list of the causative factors and it was very short there is a very limited number of reasons why loads move and the good thing there I think is that they were very simple and straightforward reasons which means they could be quite easily fixed so these were things like the load was unstable on the load bed when it was loaded and it, sh it shouldn't have been. It should have been stable. You can never make an unstable load safe. The load wasn't secured properly or at all in some cases. And it shifted during the journey. That could have been fixed by tying the load down. So the most common causes of fatal and serious injury incidents that we see in transport generally, quite aside from load shift, are being struck by a moving vehicle, being struck by a moving or falling object, falling from a height or slips, trips and falls on level ground. And you get those with load shift. It, those are the key reasons why people have incidents. I think sometimes people assume a load shift incident is just when something falls off the vehicle on the road mm. or falls out of the vehicle during unloading. But mm. there are other types of incident as well. For example, a driver might climb up onto the load bed to mm. deal with a load that has shifted during the journey and then they fall off. That is quite a common type of incident. In a van, you know, the driver, someone else might not realise how important the bulkhead between the driver and the cargo area is. It's there to protect the driver in case the load moves forward. And it needs to be in reasonable condition and the load behind it needs to be secured. So I've seen vans where the bulkhead has been removed mm. or it's had sections cut out of it or it's been damaged and not repaired, and it can't do the job it was designed to do to protect the driver. So that, you know, again, that's another type of incident. One type of incident that I've seen quite a few times recently is items falling off the forks of a forklift truck, or something has been pushed across the load bed by the forklift during loading and unloading, and it's fallen and struck somebody, either the driver or another worker. Now, these things do happen during loading and, lo and unloading. Things do happen and things do fall. 
But the key thing here is making sure there's no one in that area. So if it falls, you've just got product cleanup. You know, it's not going to be any more serious than that. If the driver doesn't need to be there, if the driver isn't supervising it and doesn't need to be directly next to the vehicle, put them somewhere else, give them somewhere safe to wait so that they're not in the firing line. Mm. Um, I think a really important point I want to make here is, you know, I, I hear this a lot from people. They say, I've never had an incident. I've been working in this job for a long time. I've never had a problem. The thing is, you know, I think back to my experience earlier on in my career of investigating incidents across a lot of industry sectors. No one sets out to have an incident. No one gets up in the morning and thinks today, you know, everything's going to go wrong. That's what I want to do with my day. And something can be unsafe for a very long time without a catastrophic event until the day when it does go wrong. And it it is such a common mistake that people make. They assume that they've done this for a long time. It will always be safe. And unfortunately, it doesn't always work out like that. Yeah. And it, I think safety isn't down to luck. Safety is down to people taking ownership and responsibility of what they need to do. Safety is never just luck. So Absolutely. Really, yeah. really important things to, to, to focus on there. Absolutely. You know, you can, I, I don't like to use the phrase, get away with it, but yeah. you know, it is, it, it's luck. It is gambling every day yeah. that things will be okay, but unfortunately luck can run out. Yes. And it, it is, I think, quite difficult when you are investigating an incident and you can see multiple points at which that could have been prevented. You know, we can't forget the fact the end result of these, inc these serious incidents is that a family has been bereaved, a worker has been left with very serious injuries that may affect them for the rest of their life. And that could have been prevented. Mm. And it, it is a, it's a difficult topic. And I think it can be very hard for the operators, for other workers in those businesses, when there is something that could have been done. And unfortunately, it wasn't at that, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I'm good. We're going to move on to talk a little bit about dangerous goods and abnormal loads. Um, and the approach should be exactly the same for, for anything we're doing with transport. Um, dangerous goods is an interesting one. Firstly, what qualifies as, as a dangerous good? And, and are there any special precautions that need to be taken when people are transporting hazardous and, da hazardous and dangerous goods? You've got an incredible range of substances that qualify as dangerous goods. Right, um, okay. <laughs> and I, I think it, you know, it is really important that people understand what they're carrying. Mm. Um, you know, I, I go out quite often with the police and DVSA and, and I've seen people be tripped up because they didn't necessarily realise what was in the back and didn't realise that it came under particular rules because of the type of load. So it is important to understand what you are transporting. The same general rules about load security apply to dangerous goods as much as they do to anything else but it is understanding the characteristics of that load type so for example if you're transporting chemicals in an IBC and you are using ratchet straps to tie your load down you will need two ratchet straps over your IBC instead of one so that's something very specific to carrying an IBC 
um, you need to make sure that your packaging, the way that you've loaded that load into the vehicle is sufficient to protect it from harm. So for example, if you're carrying a pressurized cylinder, you need to make sure that you protect the valve from damage because if it does get damaged, potentially you have a missile on the load bed. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's quite interesting. When I, when I do go out with the police or DVSA, quite often the issues aren't with operators who are transporting under the ADR rules all the time. It's with people who are carrying dangerous goods, either under limited quantities or it falls outside ADR completely. So gas cylinders, very, very common. A lot mm. of people are carrying gas cylinders on their vehicles and they're not always secured very well. Mm. And it's quite alarming, really, because, you know, as I said, if the valve gets damaged, potentially you have a missile mm. on the back of your vehicle. It's not something that you want to be sitting in front of. Mm. So it is really, really important. In any transport operation, it's important to plan to make sure you've got a system in place to do it safely but if you are transporting dangerous goods you need to be really sure that that is going to be in a safe condition all the way through to delivery yeah and that leads us on to talking about abnormal loads um, not quite the same as dangerous goods in the same sense but potential for harm when carrying an abnormal load that is huge so we're seeing some emerging issues the right paperwork not in place um, inappropriate route planning, planning are some, some of the things that we've heard. Um, what qualifies as a abnormal load in terms of size, I suppose? And, and there's so many people involved in, with responsibility in that chain of safety. Where does it actually lie? With any, as I say, you know, with any transport operation, you've got to think about the process. With abnormal loads, this gets really critical because it, it can be very complicated. If you have something that is oversized, very heavy, you know, you've got to give notifications. You've got to plan your route very carefully because there will be roads that your load simply doesn't fit down. You've got a lot of arrangements to make in advance. Um and we have seen issues with this recently. I think it's, it is fair to say. And um, load security issues as well, which is slightly alarming because some of these loads, they are very, very heavy. Any load shift has the potential to be deadly. Even something that's very small and light could kill in certain circumstances. But when you've got a very heavy load, the potential for disaster, it is very high. And you really need to make sure that that load is secure and it is not going to go anywhere. Mm. In terms of the responsibility, and again, this applies to anything, you know, from a, from a legal point of view, I think the responsibilities are quite clear. So you've got section 40A of the Road Traffic Act, which is the section that applies to the movement of um, a load on the road. That sets out a division of responsibility between the driver of the vehicle and anyone who causes or permits the vehicle to be on the road. And everyone has a responsibility to make sure that the vehicle itself and the load it carries are safe. Under health and safety legislation, of course, employers have a general duty to ensure the health and safety, not just of their own employees, but also of anyone else who might be affected by their work activities. So you've got this division between all parties. It's not enough to just say, oh, the driver's responsible, that's it, once it's out of the gate, it's all on the driver there is always a chain of responsibility from the point of loading 
right through to unloading. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I want to talk a little bit now um, about HSE investigations. So about a third of injury collisions involve someone who's driving or riding for work. And in 2019, we saw uh, 1,495 at-work drivers and 556 passengers of those drivers were killed or seriously injured in road crashes. So investigating fatal and serious collisions is part of your remit as, as the HSE. When do the HSE become involved in the investigation? Well, HSE generally doesn't get involved in the investigation of road traffic collisions as such because the police will take the lead. So you have this overlap of legislation, this overlap of enforcement responsibilities. Um, this is, you know, it's exactly that situation. You have the police, you have DBSA, you have HSE, and you know, we have agreements between us on where our enforcement remit is. It does depend. I'm not being evasive here at all. It, it does depend mm. on the particular circumstances of the incident. So the police may ask for HSE assistance in some cases. That may be technical assistance or the police and HSE may carry out a joint investigation. Sometimes the police initially will take the lead, but then hand the investigation over to HSE. It really does depend on the circumstances yeah. and where and how that incident happened. So providing advice and um, help with investigating fatal and serious collisions is just one part of the role. You've mentioned about you carried out uh, research projects into different aspects of uh, vehicle driver and load safety. How has this research helped shape the policies of the HSE and helped to reduce the risk in workplace transport? I'm a mechanical engineer by background, and it, it's been really interesting to me over the years that a lot of the issues that we see are not really to do with things going wrong mechanically. They're to do mm. with people and how people react to things. So I led a research project about 11 years ago now, looking at vehicle rollaway. And that research led to working with trade associations and other groups who produced the 2014 Safe Coupling Guidance, which is really good guidance. As I said before, people don't set out to have an incident. Serious incidents can happen to experienced, well-trained drivers because people are human beings and they get distracted, they might be having a bad day or they're tired and they forget to apply the trailer park brake. So we incorporated a lot of the lessons from research and from incidents into the HSE Workplace Transport Safety Guidance. A lot of that is about trying to design out human error. You know, people do make mistakes, it's inevitable, it, it happens to everybody. And if there are ways that we can design that out, it's always going to be a safer system. Mm. So, and again, you know, going back to a, a point I made earlier, one of the things I really like about the transport industry is that you have this constant drive for innovation and making things better. When I look at the equipment that's available for operators now, it's a completely different world to how it was in 2007, 2008. Drivers who aren't climbing up on the load bed they don't need to anymore because things are being done a different way or they've got equipment that means they don't have to are not going to fall off the load bed and it doesn't matter if the driver forgets to apply the parking brake if there is an interlock that does it for them and i think you know it, it's that kind of innovation it's that 
again that dialogue with industry the two-way communication and that that is really important in terms not only in terms of shaping hse's policy and the advice that we give to people but also i think driving the industry forward and helping them to innovate come up with new ways of working come up with new equipment you know i quite regularly get emails and phone calls from people who've come up with a new way of doing something or they've invented a new system and it's great it's fantastic because people are constantly thinking about these things how can we do that better from hsc's perspective we're a goal-setting regulator you know we we don't say to people for the most part here is the way you must do it there are certain things that you must do for example if you have lifting equipment you must inspect that equipment at regular intervals under lola but generally speaking we say this is a level of safety that we want you to reach how you get there is up to you. We will help you. We will give you guidance. We will give you advice. But ultimately, it is what suits your business. And I think certainly in the transport sector, people rise to that and they come up with their, their own ways of working that suit their business and they reach that level of safety. That's great. And that's actually really refreshing to hear that people are coming up with innovation and new ideas about how to make um, workplace transport safer um, mm. because it is a very big changing environment especially when we're looking now at the different types of vehicles being offered for use in the workplace um, on the roads with electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles and and the whole um, range of new technologies that are coming on board that innovation is is really it's really refreshing to hear that and I'm really encouraged um, there is more understanding now that workplace safety extends to work activities on the road just as much as it does to in a fixed building or workplace. Um, the HSC refreshed its guidance um, on driving and riding for work it was three years ago um, and it, that's been really really well received. Um, we use the guidance but actually it's it's more than guidance. What, what happens if employers don't follow that guidance? Well HSC guidance is there to explain what employers need to do what they must do to comply with the law. So, for example, we say an employer must assess workers' health and safety capabilities and competence before they operate a work vehicle. And we say they should make sure the vehicle is roadworthy before it goes onto the public highway. If an employer chooses not to do those things, so let's say they allow someone who doesn't have a valid driving licence to take out a work vehicle, or they send them out in a vehicle with bald tyres, then not only are they putting that individual and other road users at risk, they're also committing specific mm. road traffic offences under the Road Traffic Act, the construction and use regulations. So, yeah, we, we do provide that guidance to help people comply with their responsibilities, with their legal responsibilities, whether that's under road traffic legislation or under workplace safety legislation. As, you know, as I said before, we are a goal-setting regulator. Mm. We don't necessarily tell people exactly what they need to do. We let people devise their own system to do that. And that is why we do produce so much guidance. If you go onto the HC guidance website, we, I think we produce guidance on just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're always happy to help people if they have queries, because I think it is so important that people have a system that works for them that isn't imposed by somebody else, it works for them and their business. 
and that's what we we try to help them do brilliant thanks nina this has been really eye-opening talk to you and talking to you and i could talk much more about this subject because the the, the range um, of topics that we could discuss um, in this area is huge but thank you so much for joining us today if people want to get more information about anything they've heard today where should they go to find that information there are lots of places they can get information so the hsc website has lots of information dvsa have lots of information themselves and of course national highways do and driving for better business brilliant Thanks, Nina. For everything that you've heard today, um, like Nina says, there's information on various websites. We will certainly put links on the Driving for Better Business website. Thank you for staying with us today. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Nina. Thank you very much. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.